Uh, yeah, as Annie said, this new series is about using the lives of heroes of the faith to see how God wants to, to forge in us the characteristics that he wants to see in his family. And we're kicking the series off with Abraham. Um, and this is a man who, when he heard the call of God, by faith, he got up, he left his family, he left his home, he left what was familiar to him, and he ventured on into the unknown, into the desert, and wandered around for, for many years there. Um, and I kind of feel, as I've gotten to know better the, the kind of semi-arid desert landscape and culture of the Macanese people, that I, I have... Um, a better idea than I used to have of what Abraham's life might have been like wandering around in, in that desert. Um, and I might not have lived in a tent like Abraham did, but uh, certainly I've lived out of a suitcase. <laughs> and, and, and I felt a little bit of that sense of homelessness at times that I, I think Abraham may have felt. Um, in, in eight years of marriage, Jack and I have lived in almost 11 different homes, um, as a result of us trying to, to get into the Macanese homeland and trying to stay there and, and, and remain there. Um, and God has often moved us on for reasons that have been hard for me to grasp. Um, sometimes that's because we haven't been able to be in, in a Macanese village, and so we've had to, to stay elsewhere in the hope of moving in. Um, once uh, our... We, we'd literally just finished setting up uh, our home, and the mud roof caved in uh, on all of our stuff, and we quickly had to find somewhere else to live. Uh, as Jack mentioned, another time we were asked by the government to leave the town that we were um, staying in. And um, as God has stripped away my earthly homes, um, I've realized that it's been for a purpose. And I realized that he's been giving me this stronger desire for my heavenly home and for finding my sense of home and belonging in him, um, even as that's been painful at times. And, and that hope of a heavenly home, that hope of being at home with God, I believe, is what Abraham's life demonstrates. It's the same hope that, that he had, um, this sense of belonging not to this earth, but to God. Um, and we're going to read about that in Hebrews 11. So if you have a Bible, open it up at Hebrews 11. Um, that's mainly where we're going to be uh, looking at today. And it's a great little summary of Abraham's life in Hebrews 11. And from this text, we're going to look at three things. So firstly, we're going to see that faith was the foundation of Abraham's life. This is the character, the characteristic that God was forging in Abraham. This is the characteristic that is, is key to our DNA as a people of God, faith. Secondly, we're going to see that faith isn't just a decision, it's a desire. It's a desire for God's promises above the promises of this world. And thirdly, we're going to see that having faith like Abraham means that we don't belong in this world as it is, and it makes us strangers. It makes us homeless temporarily, but our home is in God. So those are the three things that we're going to look at. Faith is our foundation. Faith is not just a decision. It's also a desire. And thirdly, faith makes us strangers on this earth. So hopefully you'll be able to track with me. <laughs> this way up. That's helpful. 
Good. <laughs> so I'm going to read from uh, Hebrews 11, verses 8 to 16. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the promise. And so, from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore." All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. What did Abraham achieve in his life? Essentially, he was just a nomadic animal herder. He didn't do anything that we would necessarily see as impressive. So, you know, we're not talking about David who won battles or Solomon who built a huge temple. Um, He wasn't a prophet like Elijah or or Jeremiah who were calling God's people back um, to the right way of worshipping Yahweh. He didn't rebuild the walls of Jerusalem like Ezra or Nehemiah or advise kings like Daniel. So why is he such an important figure? By faith, Abraham, when called to go, obeyed and went. By faith, Sarah had a child. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham didn't have some impressive career, but what he did do was he believed God when he spoke and he lived in light of of that which God had said. And God wants us to realize that nothing can impress him. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. That's Hebrews 11.6. Nothing can impress him aside from faith. And this is our family trait. This is that uh, characteristic that God wants to forge in his people. It's the f- faith is what, what the people of God is founded on. It was Abraham's um, life that um, began, was, was the inception of the Jewish nation, and God was forging in this patriarch faith that he wanted to run through the DNA of his people. And that's the foundation of this church, By 
By faith we are saved. We are saved by grace through faith, Ephesians 2. Abraham wasn't a perfect man. And we can see that from his life. Twice he let other men take his wife into their harems because he was too scared to admit that she was his wife. He lied and said that Sarah was his sister. And when God's promises looked like they weren't coming around, he had a son with Hagar. And then later he sends this this son and Hagar off into the desert, presumably to die. I mean, you, you don't find water very easily in the desert. It was messy. He wasn't a perfect man. But in those ups and downs, in that wavering, his trajectory was still set on God's promises. His trajectory was still towards faith. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. That's Genesis 15, 6, and it's quoted three times in the New Testament. Once in Romans 4, once in James 2, and once in Galatians 3. And I want to actually read that passage in Galatians 3. Galatians 3, 6 to 9 says, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So Abraham is called the man of faith here. That is what he's remembered for. He's called the father of all who believe. The patriarch of the nation. He's not primarily known for his bravery or his intelligence or his likability or any of the traits that we too quickly recognize in our culture. He's primarily remembered for his faith. And this passage tells us that if we have faith, we are children of Abraham. That means that we are part of the fulfillment of the promise made to Abraham that he would have offspring as uncountable as the stars in the sky. It also says in, that, in, in verse 9, if we rely on faith, we will be blessed along with Abraham. So that means that if we have faith, we're not just part of the fulfillment of those promises to Abraham, but we actually get to participate in the blessings that those promises brought to Abraham. We're part of the continuation of God's covenant relationship with mankind. We get to receive as a community all the blessings of those promises made to Abraham. All the nations will be blessed through you. All the nations will be blessed through us, church, if we rely on faith. So the next question we need to ask is, what is faith? Because if we want to rely on faith, if we want to um, get to participate in these covenant promises, we need to know what, what's being asked of us here. So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. He made a decision to believe. And 
that was a decision to take God at his word to, as, as verse 11 says, consider him faithful who had made the promise. And that decision resulted in righteousness. It was credited to him as righteousness. It was a decision for salvation. And us participating in the Abrahamic covenant promises by faith, first and foremost, means salvation for us. We have a fundamental problem as humans, our sin and our inability to live in the way that our creator wants us to live. And the covenantal relationship with God recovers and restores us from that brokenness. And we can only participate in that relationship, that restoring and saving relationship by faith. But some of the words I find absolutely incredible that God speaks to Abraham when he's making some of these promises. Genesis 15.1, he says, I am your shield, your very great reward. I am your very great reward. God himself is my reward. Wow. So living by faith isn't just a decision to believe Jesus and what he did on the cross and then go on with my life. It's it's not just a decision to believe something that's different from what the world believes. It's actually a decision to want something different than what the world wants. It's a decision to want God as our reward rather than the temporary rewards that this world is offering. And that, that I think, is getting towards the crux of what faith is, what this family trait is that God wants us to all have, that God wants to forge in each one of us. Hebrews 11.1, 1, the beginning of this, this whole chapter about Faith, it says, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Confidence in what we hope for, in what we're longing for, in what we're hungering for, in what we desire. Isn't it striking that in verse 13 it says, by f- those that lived by faith didn't receive what was promised? They only welcomed it from afar. They welcomed it. They saw it and they wanted it. And they said, yes, come. And this is the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. This is the the blessing that God gives us now. But there's so much more to come that he wants us to be looking for and desiring. Abraham and Sarah did have a son. When Sarah was thought that they, they thought that was impossible, they did have a son. But Abraham didn't get to see himself with his own eyes, the descendants, as numerous as the stars in the sky. He didn't get to see you lot. Abraham did make the promised land his home. He became quite wealthy there and, and reasonably powerful. He made uh, some, some um, agreements with kings and... and um, He owned a field, but it was only a field. This was was the tomb for his wife, and he dwelt in tents his his whole life. It wasn't the complete fulfillment of what he was hoping for. God said, Abraham, all nations will be blessed through you, and they have been, because Jesus the Messiah came through 
the Abrahamic line. And we are all blessed by Jesus. (laughs) And yet, so much of the world's population have never, ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the now and the not yet of the kingdom. God's promises are not just pie in the sky when you die. That's not what I'm saying. They do impact the here and now. And God is our very great reward now. We, we can hear him speak like we heard him speak this morning through our worship time. We can be healed by him. We can be led by him. And yet, we will all at some point walk through that valley of the shadow of death. So faith is welcoming the complete fulfillment of all that God has promised from a distance. It's seeing ahead, looking into the horizon, and wanting and longing for and desiring and welcoming something that the world does not see. Faith is not just a decision, it is a desire. And we need to stoke that desire in our hearts. And this desire makes us strangers amongst our own. I thought that picture was quite funny, actually. (laughs) It makes you at odds with the world because it makes you do strange things that people don't necessarily understand if they don't understand that desire. And that is essentially why Abraham was able to get up and leave when God called him. He leaves that sense of belonging, that sense of home, and that sense of comfort in his father's house. Why? Because he would later receive an inheritance better than what he currently had, verse 8, and he wants that inheritance. He desires it. Um, when, you, when you understand that desire, his, his behavior makes sense. It doesn't otherwise. It was faith that enabled him to go. And verse 10 says, he made his home in the promised land, but he was a stranger in a a foreign country. And Abraham even used that language himself. So in Genesis 23, 4, when he's buying this field to bury his wife Sarah in, he says to those he's buying it from, I am a stranger and a sojourner among you. And it wasn't only Abraham who felt this. So just as faith is a family trait, this sticking out, this being weird and a bit odd is a family trait, I'm afraid, guys. (laughs) So verse 13 says, all these people, i.e. all these great heroes of the faith, admitted that they were foreigners and strangers on this earth. And there's other parts of of scripture where we we see other great heroes of the faith using, using this language. So Um, David wrote in Psalm 39, verse 12, Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as a foreigner and a stranger, as all my ancestors were. So David considered himself to be following in the footsteps of his ancestors in this attitude of being a stranger in the world. Now, we're talking about a king here. If there was anybody who would enjoy the benefits of this world and feel that sense of belonging and wanting to be in this world, wouldn't it be the the, the best king of, of Israel's history? And yet, he says, I am a stranger. 
1 Peter 2.11. So the Apostle Peter said, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Peter was encouraging the early church to act differently because they don't belong here. And Paul also uses that same language, Philippians 3. For as I've often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus. We eagerly await, we eagerly long for, we're welcoming from a distance. Our citizenship is in heaven. Abraham and the other heroes of the faith in verse 11 says they, in verse 14 says they were looking for a country of their own. They weren't thinking of what they left behind. They were looking for this heavenly country, something different. And, I, and I, as I mentioned before, this is one of the things that um, I've wrestled with mostly in the last six years of not feeling a sense of belonging as we've been living in Eastern Sahara and um, and that's not just about moving house a lot. It's actually, um, it's more than that. Abraham uh, became very wealthy for his day. And yet he still felt like he didn't belong. It's not necessarily about foregoing material things. I don't belong in Eastern Sahara because I will always look a bit different. I will always speak a diff- bit different no matter how hard I try. And actually, I've realized I don't fully belong in the UK anymore either. And that's, that's been really painful to realize at times. Um, the longer you spend outside of your home country, the, it changes you, you know, and, and, and relationships sometimes move on and um, you start to feel like you've got less in common sometimes and you're seeing things differently. Uh, and that can be really jarring But one of the funny results of this is when it becomes apparent to other people that you have absolutely no idea what you're doing. Um, So the first time a few years ago that a checkout lady asked me if I had contactless, I said, no, I've got 20-20 vision. (laughs) I actually didn't say that. I I definitely thought it (laughs) and didn't want to admit my stupidity and so went home and asked my dad um, because the... The way that it works in our family is actually that my dad informs me of the latest technological advances rather than vice versa. Um, <laughs> but that sense of being out of sync with my own culture and my own country is just an analogy of what we should all feel in some sense as we live by faith. And that is painful. It's not very comfortable to not belong. But we are called to desire a heavenly home. And, and our comfort is this. Verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. God is not ashamed of us. What's, what's the opposite of shame? It's pride. Yeah. Somebody go over there and gets a gold star. <laughs> it's, it's, those of you who are parents maybe know that feeling when your, your kid kicks off in public and you just think, mm, 
you know, you're slightly ashamed. And then you also probably know that feeling of when your child does something really amazing, maybe they're really brave or they're really kind or really generous in a situation where you maybe didn't expect them to be. <laughs> and you're suddenly just really proud of them. That's, that's like the language that's being used here. God is not ashamed to be called our God. He's proud of us. Don't we want that for our relationship with God? And, and here it says the reason that he's proud of them, he's not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. He's made a city for them, and they desire it. They want it. That city is where God himself dwells and, and where God is our very great reward. So what do we need to do so that God won't be ashamed of us? Some kind of amazing work or have an impressive skill or make some kind of huge sacrifice for him so that he thinks, oh yeah, I want to be her God. <laughs> no. No, we just need to desire him. We need to want him to the extent that it makes us strangers on this earth and at home with God. That we need to want what he has to offer more than what the world has to offer. And so my question to you is, what do you want today? What are you desiring? Are you welcoming the promises of God from a distance, or are you enjoying the benefits of the here and now only? Because you cannot have your cake and eat it. Because some of us treat... Faith, like a get-out-of-jail-free card, and we want to inherit eternal life tomorrow, but we don't want to miss out on everything that the world's got to offer today. And you know what? Sometimes we don't even realize that we are doing this. And it might be really tempting for those of us who've walked with Christ for a long time to think, yeah, that's not me, you know. But actually, it can be really subtle. Um, I felt burdened for the nations from quite a young age, and, and um, I, through my childhood and student days, was really passionate about missions, and I thought I'd go at some point. I didn't know when, maybe at some point. But I was a walking self-contradiction, because um, it was kind of unthinkable for me not to get a, a, a job or a grad scheme or something out straight out of university. I wanted to change the world for Christ, but I was thinking of getting a job and working my way up and and getting influential. And now there's nothing wrong with that, but serving God in a quiet backwater of Africa that many people have never heard of was not on my to-do list. And I thought that just because I wasn't motivated by money, that I wasn't worldly. And I did want the promises that God had to offer. I did want to see the nations come to him. But I also wanted something else. And that was a position. I wanted a label. I wanted, um, I wanted a title of some sort and the security that that brought me relationally. Not necessarily financially, but relationally, certainly. I wanted to have something to say to my friends when they asked me what I was doing next year. I wanted something 
for my, that my, something that my parents could say to their friends, um, you know, in, in, in leafy Buckinghamshire, middle class, you know, oh, what's your daughter doing? I wanted them to have something to say as well. And I didn't even realize that that was what was motivating me. It kind of sounds silly, but it was true. The reason I wasn't able to think outside of the cultural box I had been put in, the reason I wasn't living at odds with the world and wasn't able to really step out in what I felt God was calling me to, was because whilst I wanted what God was calling me to, I still, there was a big part of me that still wanted what the world was calling me to as well. And something had to give. We can live for God and we can reap the fruit that God promises us. Or we can live for the world and we can reap the fruit of the world. But faith is not an insurance scheme. It is an all-encompassing desire. It's a reorientation of our lives and our hearts from the world and towards God. Abraham turned away from the familiar and he ventured into the unknown with God. And when we live by faith, it's not so difficult to get up and leave those meager promises of this world for the promises of God. Because the promises of God just look so much better when we see them in the right perspective. So what is it that you want What is it that you are scared to sacrifice that you're not sure is is worth giving up to, as Abraham did, become a stranger on this earth and, and inherit the promises of faith? Every single time we come back to the UK, I I do struggle to leave again. I'm not talking about having a life where you never waver or doubt. God has so much grace for us, but we need to identify what it is that makes us waver, what it is that causes us to hesitate, and then tackle it with faith. Tackle it with a desire for the promises of God. And I can tell you honestly, and and Ruth O'Connell can probably testify this, that my emotions are a little bit up and down like this right now. Uh, I've got a seven-week baby, seven-week-old baby, and we're moving out again in two to three weeks, and it feels pretty overwhelming. Um, Last night, uh, Alistair was up in the night, and I I felt like I was um, seeing everything quite negatively. Oh, you know, I've got to pack, and... Am I going to forget something? And, you know, we're leaving our, our, the cottage that we've been renting and then we'll be staying for a little bit with Jack's family and then a little bit with my family and then we've got to make the journey to the capital and then from the capital we've got to make the journey to the uh, out east and then from there we've got to make the journey to our home and it's going to be a number of weeks before we even make it to our home and with three children all that moving around is pretty stressful. <laughs> But I need to tackle that wavering with faith, with a desire for God's future promises and a recognition, putting it in perspective of those. Psalm 2.8 says, Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. I want the Macanese as my inheritance. And what motivates me is imagining what it's going to look like when the Macanese believers welcome me into my heavenly dwelling place. And that joy of sharing 
eternity with brothers and sisters I have persevered for is going to be amazing. 41% of the world's population still have zero access to Jesus. And we're not talking about... um, like the UK here where many people don't know Christ, but if they had a desire to know about Christ, they might be able to find some resources or somebody to talk to. We're talking about places where there's no Bible, there's no missionaries, no churches, no accessible Christian resources, no Christian radio station, no Christian TV, maybe not even any internet. Nothing. And some of you, I am praying, will go to those unreached places. By faith, please consider yourself a stranger on this earth. Make your home in heaven rather than here. Leave your country of origin and go to the land that God will show you, just as Abraham did. Now, some of us won't go to those unreached places because there is a church here and a land here that need a radical witness to Christ as well. But, oh, so much more the reason why you need to try and make sure that your heart is oriented towards the promises of God and that you are a stranger in Oxford because you don't have that physical reminder, maybe, that you don't belong. Some of us are called to the nations. Some of us remain here. We are all called to go to the world but none of us are called to belong to the world. I was recently impacted by the life of David Livingston, who many of you will know is a, a great explorer. Um, but he was actually also a fervent man of faith, and he believed that if he could map Africa and open up the continent of Africa um, and explore it, make it known, it would enable other people to go with the gospel Uh, And he wasn't wrong. Um, He said this, For my own part, I've never ceased to rejoice that God has appointed me to such an office. People talk of the sacrifice I have made in spending so much of my life in Africa. Is that a sacrifice which brings its own blessed reward in the bright hope of a glorious destiny hereafter? Away with the word sacrifice in such a view and with such a thought. It's emphatically no sacrifice. Say rather it's a privilege. Anxiety, sickness, suffering, danger now and then, with the foregoing of the common conveniences and charities of this this life, may make us pause and cause the spirit to waver and the soul to sink. But let this only be for a moment. Because all these are nothing when compared with the glory which shall be revealed in and for us. No, I never made a sacrifice. You know, Jack and I, we don't serve in Eastern Sahara out of a sense of duty. People talk about needing to receive a a call to go before you're you're able to go. Um, Because if you don't have a clear call, it's going to be really hard to remain and endure when the suffering comes. And there is some truth to that. But um, I feel like today, if you're waiting for that, you need to stop waiting. 
Because a past event or a past encounter with God will only go so far in helping you to remain when the rubber hits the road. We serve out there out of joy in God's future promises. Because Jesus endured the cross. Why? For the joy that was set before him, in front of him. Not behind him. It was the hope of the blessings that were going to come from the cross that motivated him to remain on that cross. God is our very great reward people. So whether you are going to the nations gathered in Oxford or going to the nations out there, go out of joy. Go because you do not belong here anyway. Go because the promises of God are going to bring a far greater return than any investment you could make in this world. Go in faith and welcome from a distance all that God has for the harvest fields of this earth. Go and journey like strangers and sojourners, exiles, refugees on this earth. Because the command to go alone won't sustain you, but that faith in the future joys of God's promises will. Faith that God is and will be our very great reward.